OTB GAA. One of the fathers was mentioning the cows at half six or seven on the, on the, on the Monday morning. They started crying that we we'll just have to win in the county final yesterday. Subscribe to the OTB GAA podcast feed wherever you get your podcasts. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. Daniel Harris is with us. Daniel, good morning to you. How are you? Hi, I'm good, thanks. How are you? Yeah, good. Uh, season's greetings. Happy Hanukkah. Oh, thank you. Happy Hanukkah, everyone. To, um, I, I don't know anything about Hanukkah, really. Do you light candles? Is that, Are you at day four? <laughs> uh, yeah, we do. We like going up from day one to day eight in ascending order. And is it is it good fun? Is the food good? The food, so the custom is to eat oily foods. So that mainly the most famous food that we eat on Hanukkah is donuts. And obviously donuts are always good. And there's another thing called a latke, which we also eat, which is kind of shredded potato and onion, then fried. The nearest thing that is not specifically Jewish to it is basically a roshdi, and it's, it's kind of that. Uh, it's nice. And as a kid, you get presents and it gives you something to have going on when other people have loads of stuff going on. So, yeah, I mean, most of the most of the festivals are kind of nice and uh, fill some kind of part of you with some level of nice identity vibes. Um, speaking of identity vibes, uh, I'm surrounded by Manchester United fans at the moment and you're also very welcome to the programme this morning and we've been talking about Jaden Sancho. We got we got sidetracked. Uh, it's a bit of a tangent because actually the performance last night is definitely worth talking about. Um, but... This is off the back of two questions that Ten Hag was asked about Sancho, where he gave very brusque answers. Uh, is no. Exactly. <laughs> I, I quite enjoyed that. I mean, I think none of us really know what's going on with Jaden Sancho. So personally, like, I think that it feels kind of wrong to start drawing conclusions about who he is and what kind of football he is. I don't think that... I don't. We we can. Ten Hag. Ten Hag basically said that before Christmas that he does have some level of unhappiness going on. We don't know what it is, and we don't know why it is. But I don't feel particularly motivated to interrogate it to within an inch of its life because, for whatever reason it is, he's not happy. And schlepping details out of someone's to why that is doesn't feel particularly helpful to anyone. He's got a lot of talent. He's not fulfilling that talent. We don't know exactly why it is, um, but maybe we will. And it seems like he's getting some help from trying to work stuff out from from the club. And he's got a a boss who's quite benevolent in that aspect and isn't going to chat about him to everyone. Uh, Okay, so you interpreted that as benevolence because the alternative interpretation is that this is tough love where he's like... He's being uh, kept away from the the rest of the club and actually prepared for some kind of exit to whoever will take him on. Uh, it sounds, from what you're saying, that actually something else is happening here. Um, it, I, I don't know. It, it may be that too, but he he said Tenach said before Christmas that he wasn't he wasn't generally happy and his productivity had decreased. And they were trying to work out why that they were trying to work out why that was, and part of it was te- physical and mental or whatever. So, I think that to say to be very specific about what we think it is, 
we haven't been offered enough information to do that. We do know that he seems like a pleasant bloke and we do know that he's got a lot of talent. So trying to extrapolate the precise aspect of what's going on with him, we haven't been given any real information to do that. And maybe, you're right, maybe, maybe it's tough love and the club's saying, sort yourself out really quickly or you've got a problem. And he does definitely have a problem in that Marcus Rashford has rediscovered himself um, and Alejandro Garnacho is good. And you've also got Anthony. So they're real competition for places, even if he's at the top of his game. He isn't. But the desire to be really specific about what's bothering him doesn't seem to me like we have a great deal of anything to base whatever decision we might make on. So I'm loath to make any kind of decision. But I can totally understand that he's not playing in the way that we think he probably could. Yeah. Is there... Um... Okay, so like taking that on board, right, there's any number of uh, potential outcomes here. But is there a world in which they start listening to offers for Jaden Sancho or send him out alone for the second half of the season and say, right, go off and play some football with somebody else and uh, and then we'll see where we are? Or do you think that this is the type of thing that they'll sort in-house over the next six months and make a decision in the summer? I'm sure they won't want to sell him right now. Uh, I don't think he's in danger of getting sold soon. But... It just, if you look at the people he's competing with, it definitely makes sense that if in June he's not doing anything, then there's a chance they might want to sell him because they need money for players and they're already spending like like they've been sold, really. They spent money that they didn't really have last summer, presumably on the basis that whoever buys the club is going to have the money to finance a few purchases anyhow. So I think that I don't think that Sancho will get sold as some kind of punishment for not delivering between now and the end of the season. But if he doesn't deliver between now and the end of the season and they need money and there are a few players in his position, which there are, then he's definitely in danger. But I'm absolutely certain there's enough about the way he plays football at his best that we'll want the club will want to try and work that out rather than just say, well, let's get someone else. Let's talk about, sorry, Shane, let's talk a little bit about Rashford because the um, return to form um, is really quite marked. The goal last night, if people haven't seen it, it's it's sensational. It's like the type of ebullient finish that we thought he was going to be capable of on a regular basis. And if he if he starts playing like that week in, week out, then Manchester United have a really special player again. Um, so uh, is that is that partly down to Ten Hag? Is it partly down to Rashford? Is it partly down to his experience at the World Cup. What 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 has come together for Rashford in the last, I don't know, eight weeks, ten weeks? Well, I think all of the above. But the thing about Rashford is like Sancho in a way. Rashford was never clear really about what was upsetting him last season. He's been clear subsequently that he wasn't happy in his life. We don't know if he had stuff going on in his personal life. He wasn't happy with the football was so depressing that he was just unhappy with that. He wasn't enjoying playing for United and playing in that environment. It could be that. We don't really know very much more beyond those general broad brushstrokes. The thing with Rashford, I think, is that he has a lot of natural ability. I don't think he's got the feet that Sancho does, if we're comparing them directly, which we may as well do because they are going to be fighting for the same place in the team. But what we do know about Rashford physically is better than Sancho. He's faster and he's stronger. So if you add that 
ridiculous pace that he's got and he's getting stronger as well and he's got confidence then what Sancho has over Rashford is that kind of that just delightful touch and perhaps a little bit more imagination he's not Sancho's not a killer and Rashford is so what we're seeing from Rashford now is what you get when you have someone who's physically in their prime and they're just really happy with the way things are going and the thing with Rashford, I, I always thought that I think that he is a more naturally talented player than someone like um, like Raheem Sterling, who I named because they were fighting for the same position in the England squad. It was always been Sterling who's been who's get it previously. But it always felt to me like the difference between Rashford and Sterling was much more to do with environment than it was to do with individual. Rashford's stronger than Sterling. He's faster than Sterling. So if you take those two physical imperatives... What was enabling Sterling to be better than that was he was playing in a better team for a better manager. What you're getting now with Rashford is when all those things are aligned. So you've got the physical strength and power and speed that enables him to be the best athlete that he can be. And you've also got a team that he's part of now that feels like it's going somewhere. And Rashford's never really had that before. And what we're seeing now is when all those things fit together. So you see him... And he gets on the ball like he did last night and he is very hard to stop. And if you're not able to stop a player like that physically, then if they're also cleverer than you and more committed than you as well and more skillful than you, then that is a very that's a very tricky combination. And United have that at the moment. And what they haven't got from Rashford is previously is that his top level has always been a brilliant level. The difference with him and what seems to be the case now is his modal level, the level that he produces every week and his bottom level, the level that he produces at his, wor- at his worst. Those two things have gone up. And so what you're seeing now is someone who's more productive on a weekly basis rather than someone who, if Mars is aligned with Venus and everything works really nicely, he can do something good for you. The circumstances are such that he's able to deliver a really good level on a more frequent basis. Daniel, the uh, the back four last night had an interesting look to it, and of course, uh, Varane and Martinez are to, are to come back in. But uh, one man that wasn't there last night, he was sick, was, was Harry Maguire. Um, he's come out of the World Cup smelling of, of roses a little bit. Like, is there a is there a place for him at some point back in the United central defence? Do you think? I, I think we know where Maguire is. Maguire's a good a good defender. He's a Premier League level defender. Nothing that I've seen from Maguire makes me think he's a top two or three in the Premier League defender. Nothing I've seen it. Maguire playing international level has made me change my mind on that. He's still not quick enough at international level. He's still, he still could use a lot of protection. And even if we look back to the game against France, which to me felt like a sea change for England. I said this when we spoke about it afterwards, that that to me was the first time you'd seen Gareth Southgate's England take on another really good team and try and dominate the game. But even in that environment, when the ball comes in and it's clutch it's Maguire who gets loses his header doesn't get near his header to Giroud and it doesn't mean that any Maguire is a good player I think Maguire is a decent player but the standard of player that United are going to need to have to really challenge for the title challenge for the Champions League you're not doing that with Harry Maguire as one of your first choice centre-backs and I think Maguire knows that now I think the manager knows that as well because whenever he could he picked Martinez and Varane and when one of them wasn't available, he picked Lindelof. So I don't think that Maguire is even the first replacement. And if he wants to get on with his career, he will leave United in the summer. And I think I think that, that will probably happen. Uh, you seem, 
I think most Manchester United fans seem pretty happy with Ten Hag. The fact that there's a, a grown-up in charge, that he has a vision, he's he's fighting for that vision uh, week in, week out. And this is a real opportunity now to see how the team has progressed over the course of the four weeks while he's been working week in, week out with a huge number of those players. Um, maybe in that a big chunk of his best players haven't been around. So... The problem is that partly he's been missing and partly the players who he's been working with haven't had a serious competitive game in best part of six weeks. So I think it's asking a lot to, that we should see all of the work that Ten Hag has done in the immediate aftermath of the World Cup. We don't know what football is going to look like with a World Cup in the middle of the season because it's never happened before. And um, When you think about what's going to happen in the next few weeks... United only had two players who were who were involved in the final, but imagine the absolute, total, abject misery of winning of losing a World Cup final, or the misery of winning a World Cup final, and then the thing that you have to do next is descend to the depths of an English winter and forest at home, which is what United's next league game is, let's say, and you've got to get yourself up for that, having seen your team win having seen your team either win the World Cup or lose the World Cup. At least like the players who we saw play last night, and some of them were lost in the quarterfinals, they've had a bit of time to assimilate their new reality. Like I'm sure Bruno Fernandes, I'm sure Marcus Rashford came back to United and they felt extremely unhappy because they thought they could win the World Cup and they didn't. And they came out earlier than they thought they were going to. But they've had time to reflect on that and they probably just wanted to play as soon as possible. But the players that have played in the final have all of a sudden have to try and confront the drudgery, the grind of the Premier League season. And we have no idea how they're going to cope with that. And if United, if it turns out that Martinez and Varane don't cope with that well, United are going to have a problem. And it doesn't really matter how Ten Hag coaches. I mean, he's obviously part of making them feel like it's all right, but you could totally understand how one might lose the run of oneself after winning the World Cup in that way or after losing the World Cup in that way. I can. Uh, well, I can't really. I've, I've no clue what that would be like. But um, we, we, we can. But <laughs> it's not. It's not right, though. Basically, I think <laughs> the idea that this World Cup in the middle of the season. I mean, obviously, we know all the reasons that it happened. But to feel like we can make assumptions about what we're going to see now. I mean, maybe we can. Um, I liked what Scott McTominay said the other day before United played Burnley. He says that he's messaged uh, Martinez to say Muzzletop, basically, well done, you won the World Cup. And Martinez has replied saying, right, now we go for the next one. And that felt like quite a good example, one of many tremendous examples of what separates professional elite athletes from people like us. <laughs> it's true. It, it's totally true. And that, that's uh, they kept training after all their victories and defeats um, when they were kids. And they've been doing this their entire lives. So um, frequently they all say they never quite enjoyed the moment of the victory as much. And it's only now in retirement that they can actually fully appreciate it. And I, I can see that too. And but then- seeing it, if you, look, if you look to make a comparison, if you look at what's going on with the England cricket team, right? The thing that's to me is that is incredible about that is that the thing that they've somehow managed to do is they've managed to remove the pressure from elite sport because they're saying to the players that, if you win, that'd be good. And if you don't win, it doesn't really matter. And football is obviously far too important to say those things about. But what 
the massive upshot of that is that you end up sending out a team of players that aren't scared to perform or aren't scared to try stuff. And they've reached a level of confidence in their managers that is inspired by confidence in themselves that enables them to go and perform in a different way. And I think that, I don't think that that's already changed cricket, but I wonder if looking forward, that's actually going to change sport where people in other sports think, what can we do to make the joy of competing as pure as it is for that England cricket team at the moment? Because we've never really seen management like this before. And the speed with which they've achieved these absurd results makes you wonder if people in other sports are also thinking that way. Uh, it'll be interesting to find out. Daniel, thanks very much for injecting a bit of Christmas spirit this morning. Good to see you. Oh, good night. Have goodbye, everyone. Cheers. Happy Christmas. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar.